Our second scripture passage is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper digs itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. The word of the Lord. It's never easy being a teenager, and that's possibly more so today, arguably more so today, the pressure is certainly as high as it's ever been on a teenager, and we've talked about this. There's constant demand if you're a teenager for success, success at school, in sports, get into the right college. You've gotta do it now, and the pressure is all there, and it's constant and relentless. You feel it whether it's from your parents, or your teachers, or your peers, or just the world around you. The pressure is relentless. The second major part of teenager life is peers. There's demands that peers place on you, and you accept them as well. And look, sociologists, psychologists, they'll tell you that peers are incredibly important to a teenager's life. They are part of social development and identity. And really, if you're 15 or 20, you just want to enjoy your friends, right? And if you, you really want to know how important friends are to, to teenagers, to young adults, you just need to go to the government. They always seem to have great insights. The Health and Human Services website tells us this. Friends, they are really important to teens. Now we know. It's official. Part of it is, is that you want to fit in, right? If you're a teenager, you want to fit in with your friends, with your peers. And the problem is that in the stressed out world we live, it's exacerbated by the iPhone life that we live, where everything you're doing, everything that you're thinking is constantly put out there and you're seeing everybody else's. So you're always aware when you're missing out. You're always looking for the most likes, the resends, the how many days in a row you have connecting with somebody. And it's a stressful thing to be peers today. And so many of us, when you're a teenager now, 15, 21, even into the young adulthood, you're just looking for fun. You're just looking for fun. The only way to keep the P's was to make it a PH, fun. <laughs> but when you're 15 or 22 or 13, you're looking for fun, and that's true, because the question is, what do you want to do? And the answer is always, well, what would be fun? 
You wanna watch something, do something, go somewhere, hang out, play some music, watch. It, it's fun. And if I was gonna be honest about it, and you guys are gonna be honest with me, I get this. Look, if you're, if you're a teenager, if you're a young adult, you're still trying to figure it out. And so you wanna be let go, have a little bit of the pressure taken off. You just be allowed to figure it out. If I think back to when I was a teenager here at this high school, here's what I would sum up what we did. We just did stuff, we didn't think about it. And it, in many ways, that's maybe how you're living life. You're just doing stuff, not really thinking about it. You're just going to school, not really thinking about it. Hanging out with friends, just quit making me think about it. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't let you do that. And Solomon doesn't today. Solomon, as we're looking at Ecclesiastes, says to people who are young adults, the way he describes it, do stuff, but think about it. Do stuff, but think about it. In Ecclesiastes 11.9, he talks directly to the young man. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. What he's talking to there is somebody who is probably older than a little kid, but younger than, say, in their 30s. So it's really a teenager to their 20s. It was somebody who, in that culture and age, was considered an adult. They weren't necessarily an adult the way that we think of them, because we have a certain age. It's like when you graduate or vote. In that culture, it was when you hit that age of accountability, usually around 12 or 13, marked nowadays in the Jewish tradition by a bar mitzvah, right? That's the entrance into adulthood in the spiritual family of the synagogue. It was the same back in the ancient world. You hit puberty and you had stepped into adulthood, spiritually speaking. Because this was the age, and it still is today, when you start forming your identity apart from your mom and dad. When you realize what good and bad is, you can figure it out. You know what good and bad is. You don't need a parent or a teacher to tell you. But it's also the time, according to the Bible, when if you were to die, you will stand before God as judge on your own. There's no longer a hiding behind your mom and dad's coattails. Well, my parents are Christians. I guess I am. When you are old enough to be considered an adult spiritually, you are old enough before God to stand before him. And you get this. If you're 13 or 17 or 22, you get that you are spiritually an adult already because you deal with sin and guilt. Anyone who's a teenager deals with sin and guilt. And it's no longer just worried about whether my parents are gonna find out or what the teachers say is wrong. You know inherently when something is wrong. You wrestle with the things that you've done that nobody knows about, the things that go through your head, the words that come out of your mouth, the choices you've made, the things you try to hide. You don't need a mom or dad to make that happen. And when you're 13 or 16 or 22, you're starting to understand, who am I? And you're, you do wrestle with that. You try to figure out and make an identity for yourself. And that's actually why we have you in here on a Sunday morning. There's no separate youth group thing on a Sunday morning. We do that later on in the afternoon or tomorrow. We want you in here when you're in sixth grade and up because we want to consider you as adults. Spiritually, you are adults, just with better skin. And we really want you to start identifying with this God that we're talking about as an adult. You're not going to be able to drive until you're 16, vote until you're 18, buy alcohol until you're 21. 
But now, if you're 12, 13, 14, and anywhere up from there, in our eyes, we will consider you spiritually adults. So we want you in here to engage the same things that we are. And part of it is because at least I want you to think. I want you to believe or reject Christianity on your own. You decide. You figure it out. Solomon is talking to young adults, 16, 25, 13. And he calls them to something. He calls them to do more with their life. He says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. He goes on to say, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know, for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Rejoice, he says. That word rejoice means find joy in, take delight in. Hey, look, you're young. There's reason for celebration. It's the same word that's used in the New Testament when the prodigal son comes home and they kill the fattened calf and they have to celebrate. In other words, it's a good thing. Celebrate, rejoice. You're 15, you're 25, rejoice. Live into that. How? Then he says something that gets a little bit disconcerting if you're a parent. He says, let your heart cheer you. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. The ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, the sight of your eyes, the things that you see and desire. And this is basically a way of talking about the desires of your heart, the deepest desires, the wants that you have. What do you want? Live that way. When he says walk in, walk in is a metaphor for living a certain way. Live into what your heart and your eyes want. Go ahead. You're 16, do it. Live by following your desires. At which point every adult in the room who has a kid says, no, 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 no. Put on the brakes here. But he says it. Solomon says it. Live into your heart's desires. Go ahead, you're young. Do it. Of course, parents get excited at the next phrase. God will bring you into judgment. Know for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Now the challenge here is actually there's two ways to interpret this. This can either mean, go ahead and live however you want, but just know God is going to judge you, or it can mean, if you don't live according to your heart's desires, you will fall under the judgment of God. You'll be judged for not enjoying life to the full. Which is it? It's actually unclear, and it may mean both. Live in view of God the judge. Therefore, live life to the full. Now, if you're 13 or 21 or 16, you're saying, okay, enough of the judgment thing. How do we rejoice? How do we celebrate? How do we live into our heart and eyes' desires? What does that look like? Well, the question you might ask or we might ask is what cheers you? What gets you excited? What do your heart and eyes want? And if we took a poll of what you want, of anyone under 21 in here, the, one of the things that would come up would be stuff. I want some new Jordans, a Lily Pulitzer dress, I need a car, I'd like a new phone, stuff. Or you want time to do what you want, 
time to hang with your friends, to play some games, to watch some stuff. What do you want? What cheers your heart? What do you want? Success? Wins if you're on a team? A's if that's important to you? Getting into the right college? A hot girlfriend? What is it that you want? Something is driving you. What are you after? Our culture tells us and will tell you you need to have not just happiness, you need to have superlative happiness. Everything you enjoy must be the best and the most. A quick survey of recent magazine covers give these highlights of things that you will find inside of the magazine. The best night ever. The best gear and gadgets. 263 hot looks. Secret to success. Just turn inside the pages. Look sexy now. Have a great hair day. That was not in the AARP magazine. <laughs> Feel great. Be your own hero. The world's hottest pepper. We can't just settle for like a hot pepper. It has to be the world's hottest pepper. The sexiest look. The best gadgets. That's what we're after. We want a life that is the best, the most fun, the most exciting, the most celebratory. But if you boil down what most of us are after, whether we are 16 or 66, it's physical and material pleasure. It's the immediate. It's the now. We're so blinded by me and the now. What do you desire, Solomon's asking? When you're a teenager, when you're a young adult, one of the things you most want is freedom. But it's usually freedom from. Freedom from obligation and responsibility. Freedom from rules and morals and constraints. Freedom to do what I want, how I want, when I want, and no one to tell me what to do. So what if you could actually do that? What if you could do whatever you want, have whatever you want? Well, Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, did. He had everything he could possibly ever want. He was the wealthiest, most successful man around, and he denied himself no pleasure. We saw this in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 a few weeks ago. And what he found was if you have everything and you could do whatever you want, it's actually meaningless. It's meaningless. Okay, so if Solomon says it's not success and pleasure and wealth that brings you happiness, what does he mean when he says, walk according to your heart and sight? The adult in the room would say, here's what he means. Live responsibly. Follow rules. You gotta grow up. But I think, I think God says, don't settle for just that. If you're 15, don't settle for just growing up. Live for the best. And the best is better than fun. How? Solomon says, go ahead, rejoice. Rejoice, follow the desires of your heart. Rejoice, follow the desires of your heart as you remember 
your creator. Rejoice and remember. Second thing he says is remember your creator so that your desires are actually for the best thing. We see this in chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. So he's just said rejoice in your life as a, as a kid, as a, as a teenager, as a student, as a young adult. Rejoice in that, celebrate that, live life to the full as you remember your creator. Remember is not just think about the past. To remember your creator is a centering and reorienting thing. Craig Bartholomew, a commentator, put it this way. Remember your creator refers to allowing the notion of God as creator to shape one's view of life, to shape one's perspective in the presence. In the present, remembrance represents the radical difference between a worldview in which I am central and one in which God is. Remember your creator. Reorient your life Godwards. God as creator is the one we're remembering. And when you think about that, it's interesting that Solomon would choose God as creator because it's actually an embrace of all that is good in this world. When we say remember God as your creator, the creator is, is everything that you actually enjoy in life. It's all that's good. Friends, laughter, taste of good food, beauty, rest, joy, wonder. Anything that's good is from God. Remember God, the good God, who gave us all these things to enjoy. And when you do that, when you actually take time to turn your mind towards God as the creator of all these things, it actually has the power to reform and deepen our loves, affecting our will, our identity, our deeper motivations, so that as you are remembering your creator, you will begin to desire what God desires. Many of us think of God as someone who's around to constrain our freedom and our joy, not to encourage them. But God the creator made us to live life to the full, better in him than we can do on our own. What's the best life then? A few weeks back in the course that we're doing for uh, teenagers here after church exploring your faith, I asked why might your friends who don't go to church or anything like that, why might they not be interested in Christianity? One of the answers was because Christianity is a straitjacket. It's a bunch of rules. That's what they would say. And you know what? If you've grown up around Christians in the church, you might still feel that way. Christianity is just a bunch of rules. You see Christians who are guilt-ridden and self-lacerating and deeply unhappy people. Or you've experienced the church, maybe even this church, as one that feels like it's a bunch of do's and don'ts and shoulds and oughts, and it looks like the church is the fun police. It's a real problem. Miserable Christians and rule-oriented churches are a problem because they misrepresent the God of the universe and the freedom that's ours in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that's what you've experienced, I am sorry, 
But don't just look to the people who point it that way. There is more. If you're truly worshiping God, it should not make you better at doing church. It should make you the best at living life. It's almost as if Solomon is saying, it's a sin to not enjoy life to the full. So how do you enjoy life to the full? One of the main ways that we do this is to live as God designed, as he intended us to live. A legend has it that a widowed blacksmith in the early 18th century moved into a row house in northern Italy in a mountainous region up there. And as he entered into the row house, he began cleaning out the former occupant's junk, and he came across a bunch of children's toys, a top, a ball, a bow but no arrows, and a small stringed instrument, a lyre or guitar, that was being used as a temporary doorstop. He kept the toys, and he would bring them out when his nephews visited from the nearby village. The boys would spin the top and throw the ball and shoot arrows at pretend enemies with the bow, and then pick up and plink the little stringed instrument. In time, the blacksmith's nephews grew up. So the blacksmith decided to put the old toys for sale in his shop window. They sat there for some time until one day an older stranger walked in and asked to see the little toy guitar. The stranger picked up the toy guitar, but held it in a way that the blacksmith had never thought of, resting it under his chin. Then he began to tighten the knobs, adjusting the strings just so. Then he picked up the bow that never had any arrows with it, and in a way that the nephews had never thought of, began to rub the bow across the stringed instrument. And over the next few minutes, the stranger made the most beautiful sounds that the blacksmith had ever heard. He was not given to much emotion, but on this day, in this moment, there were tears and smiles at the same time. The sound of the music that was being produced touched something deep inside of him. It was almost heavenly. When he finished playing, the stranger introduced himself. He said, I am Antonio Stradivari from Cremona nearby. I made this violin. If you would like, I, I can teach you how to make music with it too. How do you live life to the full? You can use a violin as a doorstop or a kid's plinking toy or to create music art, beauty. And you can do the same with your body, with your mind, with your time, with your life. The creator designed you as a precious instrument. Solomon is asking, why would you want to use that as a doorstop? Monty Python, the 70s English skit troupe, has many funny little episodes. One is the flying sheep skit. The flying sheep skit has two gentlemen standing at a fence looking out into a field. 
the more well-dressed gentleman walks up and addresses the gentleman who's been standing there for a while. And they look out into the field. And the man in black says, are those sheep? Why are they up in the trees? The gentleman says, well, they're nesting. They think they are birds. He then points out and says, watch them try to walk around on their back legs. Now, now witness their attempt to fly from tree to tree. Notice, he says, they do not so much fly as plummet. And then you hear the sound and the thump. Where are sheep meant to live? In trees and flying? Or in fields grazing and lying down? Solomon says, yes, follow the desires of your heart and your eyes. But why are you climbing trees? See, the problem is we look for joy in the wrong sources. And our desires are too small. Pastor John Piper coined the phrase Christian hedonism. Hedonism is a scary word because it means living for pleasure. John Piper says that's right. Live for pleasure, but don't settle for the kind of pleasure the culture says. It falls short of what God has in store for you and for me. He puts it this way. It's not that our happiness is the highest good but that pursuing the highest good will always result in our greatest happiness in the end. We should pursue this happiness and pursue it with all our might. And C.S. Lewis, of course, insightfully puts it in a way that we have said many times here, but I'll read it one more time for you. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go around making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Don't settle for mud puddles when God offers beach vacations. The way to this best life is not just in getting yourself disciplined, figuring out which things to do or not to. It starts with Jesus. It starts with knowing and meeting God the Savior. Jesus is the way to life, to true and abundant life. We see this in John 10 when Jesus, talking to the disciples, has one more of his I am statements. In John 10, verses 9 through 11, he, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, not trees to jump out of. The thief comes only to st steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the door, the way to the greenest pastures. And I am the good shepherd, the one who lays down my life for you. God gave his life for us on the cross 
so that whoever believes in him can find life eternally and now. Jesus says it clearly in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The New Living Translation puts it, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The thief is Satan who comes along to give you the lie, the deception, that yes, the hookup, the high, the porn, the purchase, those will make you happy. If you're successful, if you get in, if you make the team, then you'll be happy. But it's all a false heaven. It's an idol that cannot meet your deepest needs. You need Jesus. Whether you are 12 or 22 or 72, you need Jesus. To know him is to have identity and purpose and forgiveness and grace and to know the love that we're all so desperate for. And to follow Jesus is to have the rich and satisfying life now and eternally. You and I are made, designed to know the shepherd, to rest and eat in his pastures, not to climb trees. If you are one of the young, the youth that Solomon is talking about, if you're 12, 16, 22, 27, don't wait. Don't wait until you're 40, until you're married and have kids. Don't wait until your deathbed. Rejoice in your youth and remember your creator now. Solomon warns because at some point it will be too late. He says in verses one through seven, before, before, before the evil days come, before the sun is darkened, before, in verse seven, before you die. You may be 15 right now, but you will not live forever, and you don't know if you have another year on your life. You don't. Don't waste deeper, truer, and more joyful life now. If you're in that age bracket, if you're a teenager, your parents, how many of them have it all together? How many of your parents actually have it all together? How many of them, if you actually looked at their life, piddled around the first 20 or 30 years? How many of your parents are still doing it today? Don't just follow the pattern of your parents. But also don't mindlessly rebel against them. Don't follow me. Don't follow your youth leader. Follow God. Find God. And you can know him. You are old enough to know him. And if Augustine is right, your heart is going to be restless until it finds its rest in him. In our confession of faith, the final phrase is, you and I are God's workmanship, 
That phrase workmanship means a piece of art, a masterpiece. You and I are God's masterpiece, created by God to fulfill our purpose as a masterpiece. You are created to make beautiful music. Don't settle for being a doorstop or a kid's plaything. You are worth more than that, and God wants your life now. Let's pray. Lord, in this passage, Solomon is speaking to teenagers to rejoice and remember, but how true that rings for every one of us at every point of our lives. We rejoice in the wrong things and we forget you. Soften our hearts. Turn our hearts and minds and desires towards you so that we might enjoy life to the full, not as we desire, but as you desire, so that we might enjoy the best. In the name of your Son who gave us all, we pray. Amen. set my gaze on God alone and trust in him completely with every day pour out my soul and he will prove his mercy though life is but a fleeting breath a sigh too brief to measure my king has crushed the curse of death and I Everlasting, never fail.